0: Mr. Bill Esterson. Question one, Mr. Speaker.
1: Thank you, Mr. Speaker. This morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others, and in addition to my duties in this House, I shall have further such meetings later today.
0: Mr. Bill Esterson.
2: The Royal College of Midwives has called the government's plans to cut nurses' student grants appalling. The Royal College of Nursing says they are deeply
0: concerned.
2: Meanwhile, the Honourable Member for Lewis, who is a nurse, Says she would have struggled to undertake her nurse training given the proposed changes to the bursary scheme. So, why does the Prime Minister still think he is right to scrap grants for student nurses? For for the very
1: simple reason that we want to see more nurses in training and more nurses in our NHS. And we believe there'll be an additional 10,000 nurses because of this change, because the facts are today. Two out of three people who want to become nurses can't because it's constrained by the bursary scheme. Moving to the new system, those people who want to become nurses will be able to become nurses.
3: Andrew
0: Griffiths! Mr. Speaker, the the number one responsibility of any government is the protection of its people. Does the Prime Minister agree with me that Britain's nuclear deterrent and our membership of NATO are key to our defences? And that any moves that would put that at risk. Would jeopardise our national
3: security.
0: My
1: honourable friend is absolutely right. It has been common ground on both sides of this House of Commons that the cornerstone of our defence policy is our membership of NATO and our commitment to an independent nuclear deterrent, which must be replaced and updated. They are necessary to keep us safe. And at a time when we see North Korea testing nuclear weapons, with the instability that we have in the world today, we recommit ourselves to both NATO and to our independent nuclear deterrent. And I think the party opposite has got some very serious questions to answer.
2: Jeremy Corbyn. Thank you. Thank you very much, Mr. Speaker. This week, the Prime Minister rather belatedly acknowledged there is a housing crisis in Britain. He announced a £140 million fund to transform 100 housing estates around the country, which uh, actually amounts to 1.4 million per housing estate to bulldoze and then rebuild. And my maths is perfect. <laughs> this money, Mr Speaker, is a drop in the ocean. It isn't even going to pay for the bulldozers, is it? what we have done is
1: doubled the housing budget and are going to be investing over 8 billion pounds in housing and that comes after having built 700,000 homes since becoming prime minister we've got over a quarter of a million more affordable homes and here's a statistic he will like in the last parliament we built more council houses than in 13 years of a labor government
2: Well, Mr. Speaker, he hasn't clearly thought this thing through very carefully, because in every estate that every estate that he announces he wishes to bulldoze will include tenants and people that have bought their homes under Right to Buy. Will those people, the leaseholders, will they be guaranteed homes on those rebuilt estates that he's proposing to do? No, no, of course, I accept this isn't as carefully
1: thought through as his reshuffle. Um, you know, <laughs> which I gather is it's still going on. It hasn't actually finished yet. Of course. What we want to do is go to communities where there are sink estates and housing estates that have held people back and agree with those local councils, agree with those local people, and make sure that tenants get good homes, make sure homeowners get rehoused in new houses. That's exactly what we want. Now, look at what we've done on housing. We reformed the planning rules, they opposed them. We introduced help to buy, they opposed it. We introduced help to save to help people get that deposit, they opposed it. They've got absolutely nothing to say about people trapped in housing estates
2: who want a better start in their life. (laughs) Mr. Speaker, I noticed the Prime Minister did not give any guarantee to leaseholders on estates. So there is another, probably larger group on most estates that I have a question to ask him on behalf of, a tenant by the name of Darrell, who says, will the Prime Minister guarantee that all existing tenants of the council estates earmarked for redevelopment will be rehoused in new council housing in their current communities with the same tenancy conditions as they currently have? We're not going to be able to deal with these
1: sink estates unless we get the agreement of tenants, unless we show how we're going to support homeowners, unless we show how we're going to support communities. But isn't it interesting, Mr. Speaker? Isn't it interesting, Mr. Speaker? Who here is the small c Conservative who's saying to people, stay stuck in your sink estates, have nothing better than what Labour gave you after the war? We're saying if you're a tenant, have the right to buy. If you're a, if you want to buy a home, here's help to save. If you're in a sinker state, we'll help you out. And that's the fact of politics today: a party on this side of the house that wants to give people life chances, and a Labour opposition that
2: says stay stuck in poverty. Mr. Speaker, the Prime Minister doesn't seem to understand the very serious the very serious concerns that council tenants have when they feel they are going to be forced away from the community where they live, where their children go to school, and their community is so strong. But there is another area where the Prime Minister might be able to help us today. His party's manifesto said everyone who works hard should be able to own a home of their own. So, will families earning his so called national living wage be able to afford one of his discount starter homes? I I very much hope they will because we're also, as well as starter homes,
1: as well as starter homes, we're having shared ownership homes. And so, if you take, if you take, when I became Prime Minister, when I became Prime Minister, a young person trying to buy a home needed £30,000 for that deposit. That's order. order! I apologise for interrupting. There is now order. I say to the Honourable Lady, the Member for Bishop Auckland, who aspires to be a stateswoman, that is not the behaviour of a would-be stateswoman shrill, shrieking from a sedentary position i want to hear the prime minister's answer you became prime minister you needed 30000 pounds to buy a depo- to, for a deposit on a typical home because of the schemes we've introduced that is now down to 10000 pounds now i want people to own their own homes so let's consider this issue we are saying to the 1.3 million tenants of housing associations we're on your side you can buy your own home
2: why does he still oppose that yes. Well, Mr. Speaker, I hope this this word hope goes a long way um, because research by Shelter found that families on his so called living wage will be unable to afford the average starter home in 98% of local authority areas in England. So there's only the 2% that may benefit from this. So instead of building more affordable homes, isn't the Prime Minister branding more homes as affordable, which is not a solution to the housing crisis? Will he confirm that home ownership has actually fallen since he became Prime Minister? There is a challenge of helping people to buy their own homes.
1: That's what Help to Buy was about, which they opposed. That's what Help to Save is about, which they opposed. And that is why, isn't it interesting? He didn't answer the question about the 1.3 million housing association tenants. No, look. Look. I want I want what's best for everybody. Let's put it like this, Mr. Speaker. He owns his home, I own my home. Why won't we let those 1.3 million own their homes? Why not? What are you writing of?
2: The Prime Minister When the noise disappears,
3: uh,
0: the
2: Leader of the Opposition will be heard. Jeremy Corbyn. I thank the Conservative backbenchers for their deep concern for the housing crisis in this country. It is noted. The Prime Minister gave no assurances to tenants, no assurances to leaseholders, no assurances to low paid people who want to get somewhere decent to live. Can I ask him? one final question on this, and it is a practical question that is faced by many people all around this country who are deeply worried about their own housing situation and how they are going to live in the future. It comes from from Linda, who is a council tenant for the last 25 years, and she says I will eventually look to downsize to a property suitable our ageing circumstances. Due to the housing bill being put through Parliament at present, if we downsize, we will have to sign a new tenancy agreement. If we stay, we face having to pay the bedroom tax and debt. If we downsize, we lose our secure home. It is a real problem that Linda and many like her are facing. If she was in the Prime Minister's advice bureau, what advice would he give her? Well, the, the first thing
1: I'd say to Linda is, of course, we are cutting social rents in this Parliament, so she will be paying less in rent. The second thing I'd say is, if she's concerned about the spare room subsidy, of course, it's not paid by pensioners. A point that he uh, fails to, to make. The other point I would make. The other point I would make to Linda. The other point I make to Linda and all those who are in council houses or in housing association homes is that we believe in giving you the chance to buy your own home and are helping you to do that. And isn't it interesting, Mr. Speaker, what this exchange has shown? We've now got a Labour Party who've got a housing policy that doesn't support home ownership, just as they've got a defence policy that doesn't believe in defence, just as we've now got a Labour Party that doesn't believe in work and a Labour leader who doesn't believe in Britain.
2: Mr Speaker, as as someone who grew up in social housing, may I welcome the Prime Minister's commitment to tear down
0: poor-quality, soulless high-rise estates and replace them with affordable homes. Will he seize this opportunity to make sure these new homes are
1: attractive, well-designed places where people will actually want to live for generations to come? I think my hon. friend is absolutely right. If Labour wanted to have a constructive opinion, they'd come along and say, How can we help knock down these sink estates, rebuild new houses, help people to own their own homes? That is what we want to do, and that's what you're going to see, Mr. Speaker, in this Parliament. One side committed to opportunity, life chances, helping people get on, and another side wanting to keep people trapped in poverty.
2: Angus Robertson.
0: Thank you very much, Mr. Speaker. The economic and intellectual contribution of college and university graduates to the UK is immense. Uh, The Smith Commission said that the UK and the Scottish Government should, and I quote, work together to explore the possibility of introducing formal schemes to allow international higher education students graduating from Scottish further and higher education institutions to remain in Scotland and contribute to economic activity for a defined period of time. Why did the UK Government this week unilaterally rule out a return of a post-study work visa without stakeholder discussions and before key parliamentary reports?
1: Well, what I say to the honourable gentleman: We have an excellent scheme that covers, of course, Scotland, England, Wales, and Northern Ireland, and it's this: to say to the world students that there is no limit on the number of people that can come and study in British universities, as long as they have two things: an English language qualification and a place at that university. That's an incredibly generous and open offer. The second thing that we offer is that there's actually no limit on the number of people who can stay after they've graduated, as long as they have a Graduate level job. And again, I think that's an incredibly clear message that all of us, whether we're involved in the Scottish Government, the Northern Ireland Administration, the Wealth Administration, or the United Kingdom Administration, should get out and sell around the world. It's a world beating offer. We want the world's brightest graduates to come here, study here, and then work here. What a great deal.
0: Angus Robertson. Thank you very much, Mr. Speaker. The return of post study visas is supported by, amongst others, all of Scotland's twenty five publicly funded colleges, yep. Colleges Scotland, University Scotland, yep. the representative body for Scotland's nineteen higher education institutions, many other organisations and businesses, all parties. Including the The Scottish Conservative Conservative Party. Party. So, why does the Prime Minister think that they are all wrong and he is
1: right? Well, for the reason I've given, which I think the clarity of our offer is actually world beating. And I think the disadvantage, the disadvantage of inventing a new post work. Study route where you're effectively saying to people coming to our universities it's okay to stay with a less than graduate job. Frankly, there are lots of people in our own country desperate for those jobs, and we should be training them up and skilling them up. We don't need the world's brightest and best to come here to study and then to do menial labour jobs, which actually, you know, that's not what our immigration system is for. And what we want is a system where we can advertise to the world come and study here, come and work. Work here and that's the system we have and should keep. Yeah. Gordon Henderson. Yeah. Thank you Mr Speaker. Uh, Would the Prime Minister join
0: me in welcoming the fact that Aldi are in the process of building a dis- distribution centre in my constituency bringing the prospect of another 400 jobs to local people. That distribution centre is situated just off the A249 which is one of the busiest trunk roads in the south east of England. Could, my, could I ask my right honourable friend if he would encourage the Department of Transport to undertake a review of the A249 to ensure that it can cope with the increased traffic being generated by the expanding business activity in my constituency?
1: I certainly join him in welcoming the investment in his constituency. The claimant count down in his own constituency has fallen by 39% since 2010, and this is obviously welcome news. I'll take up the point he says, because obviously we're only going to continue to attract investment if we make sure our road and rail network are up to date. Tommy Shepherd.
2: Yeah. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. The Prime Minister will be aware that last week this House discussed the equalisation of the state retirement age between men and women. Can I ask him, does he feel the outrage of a generation of women born in the 1950s who feel robbed and cheated out of their state pension? And will he give an undertaking, given the unanimous decision of this House, to ask him to look at further improvements to transitional arrangements, that he will do so?
1: I know this is an issue that uh, many colleagues have been written to, and there are some important cases to look at. But what I would say is, we looked very carefully at this at the time and decided that no one should suffer more than an 18 month increase in the time before they were expecting to retire. And what I'd also say is, if you look at what we're putting in place with the single tier pension, starting at over £150 a week, combined with the triple lock that we have, I think we have a very good settlement for pensioners. It's a four for the taxpayer and is generous into the future. Dr. Tania Matthias.
2: Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Uh, by uh, the 8th of January, within a period of just eight days, parts of London had exceeded the annual limit for nitrous dioxide pollution. Given this medically serious news, will the Prime Minister ensure? that the Department for Transport's current consideration of airport expansion prioritises air pollution concerns, and will he pledge never to expand
3: Heathrow
2: Airport (laughs) while, while nitrous dioxide levels are risking the health of millions of people?
1: Well, I think my, my honourable friend is absolutely right to raise this. There are problems of air quality and air pollution, not just in London, but elsewhere in our country. And that's one of the reasons why we decided. To delay the decision about airport capacity expansion because we need to answer the question about air quality before we provide the answer to that question. And that is what the Environmental Audit Committee recommended to this uh, government. They said on air quality, the government will need to re examine the Commission's findings in the light of its finalised air quality strategy. So the point she makes is directly being taken on by the government. Barbara Keeley.
2: To protect Zach Goldsmith. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Can I say to the Prime Minister, his answer to the honourable member for Edinburgh East on the question of transitional arrangements for those women born in the 1950s is nothing like good enough. his own ministers seem to have no idea about how to rectify the injustice they have caused. I have to say, I don't think he does either. (laughs) As he is talking to other EU leaders, can he ask why some countries are not implementing the changes until 1944? And can he also look at what Netherlands, Italy and Germany did about their transition arrangement in 2044, um, about their transition arrangement to protect the people who have been affected?
1: Well, What other European countries do is a matter for them. We have the ability to make sovereign decisions about this issue, and that is entirely right. What we have decided to do is put in place a pension system that is long-term affordable for our country, but also sustains a very strong basic state pension right into the future. And That is what the the single-tier pension is going to make such a difference to so many people in, in our country, and the triple lock The triple lock never put in place by Labour. We all remember that miserly increase to the pension that we had under Gordon Brown. That can never happen again under our arrangements. Dr. Philip Lee. Thank you, Mr. Speaker.
0: Since 2010, Bracknell constituency has seen the generation of over 200 new businesses,
1: with the claimant rate and the youth unemployment rate falling to below 1%. With the £240 million investment in Bracknell Town Centre Regeneration, Full employment in the area is a genuine possibility. Does the Prime Minister agree with me that it is the government's sound stewardship of the economy that has led to this economic success in the Bracknell constituency? Uh, I'm delighted to hear the news from Bracknell. The fact is, in Britain today, we've got low interest rates, we've got inflation right on the floor, we've got real wages growing, so people are feeling better off. People are investing in this country in huge numbers in terms of inward investment. Business investment has been going up because people are confident about the future of our economy. And all that is based on a long term economic plan of dealing with our debts, getting our deficit down, and making this a country where people can start a business, run a business, expand a business, and therefore create the jobs and prosperity for all our people.
2: Dan Jarvis. Uh, thank you, Mr. Speaker. Over the past four years, excess winter deaths figures from the ONS have shown a staggering. 117,000 people have died unnecessarily as a result of the cold. 43,000 people tragically died last winter. I wonder if the Prime Minister agrees with me that not only is that appalling but it is also avoidable. So can I ask the Prime Minister to say why it is he thinks so many people are dying needlessly in our country? And what he's going to do to stop it happening?
1: Well, I think the Honourable Gentleman is absolutely right to raise this. And the winter deaths, the figures are published every year. Uh, They are a a standing rebuke to all governments about what more needs to be done. So, first of all, we've maintained the cold weather payments, and they are vital, may kick in if the cold weather continues. There's also the winter fuel payments that we've maintained, the increase in the pension going up by prices, earnings, or two and a half percent. We've also got In this country, now falling energy prices because of the falling oil price. I agree that they're not falling as fast as I would like. And that's why I think it's right that we have this Competition Commission inquiry into the energy industry to make sure it's a fully competitive industry. But it's come a long way in the last few years. When I became Prime Minister, the, you know, the, the independent energy companies were just one percent of the market. They're now 15 percent of the market. The big six are being broken down through competition. So all of those changes, plus home improvements uh, and making sure that people have good insulation, all those things can make a difference. C. Yeah. McKennedy.
2: Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Yeah. Implementation yeah. of the Iran nuclear deal, in which British diplomacy was crucial, is imminent. Can my right hon. Friend inform the House what steps are being taken to Ensure that Iran abides by its side of the
1: deal. Well, I think my honourable friend is absolutely right about this. Let me pay tribute to um, Secretary of State John Kerry uh, for the incredible work that he did, but also the Foreign Secretary who was by his side all the way through negotiating what is a very tough and difficult deal. Where we've got to is that the adoption day for this deal uh, was in October, and since then, Iraq has started shipping 12.5 tonnes of enriched uranium to Russia. Now, we're getting close to uh, what is called the implementation day for this uh, deal to, to, sorry, Iran, uh, for, for, um, uh, for this deal. And the key point is that Iran has granted the uh, International Atomic Energy Agency unprecedented access to make sure it is doing all the things that it said it would do in this deal. As I said at the time, it's a good deal, it takes Iran away from a nuclear weapon, but we should enter into it with a very heavy heart and a very clear eye. And a very hard head in making sure this country does everything everything it said it would. Paul Blomfield. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. When the government pushed through their changes to undergraduate funding four years ago, they said that providing maintenance grants for the poorest students was key to their participation in higher education. No mention was made in the Conservative manifesto of ending those grants. Is it therefore not completely unacceptable to make that fundamental change tomorrow by the back door in committee without a vote of this House? this issue has been fully debated and discussed in this house and it's absolutely right because what our changes have showed despite all the warnings from the party opposite that more people are taking part in higher education and more people from low-income backgrounds are taking part in higher education and I'm confident that will continue to be the case Andrew Bridgen. Thank You mr speaker thanks to this government's long-term economic yeah. plan yeah.
3: Unimpo-
0: unim- unim- Unemployment in north-west Leicestershire now stands at an all-time low of 522. This Saturday, East Midlands Airport will host a jobs fair with 350 more positions available. Will my right hon. Friend, the Prime Minister, join me in wishing all the businesses in north-west Leicestershire more success at recruitment
1: and retention than the Leader of the Opposition? Well, i 'm delighted to hear there are only five hundred and twenty two people. Unemployed in his constituency, and let me praise him and indeed other members on all sides of this House who have run jobs fairs in their constituencies that have made a huge difference in terms of people being able to find opportunities. The truth is, since 2010, 64% of the rise in private sector employment has taken place outside London and the South East. Indeed, Scotland, East Midlands, East of England, South West, and South East all have higher employment rates than London. This is, in growing terms, a balanced recovery and we need to keep working at it to make sure it is. This is Sharon Hodgson. You, Mr.
0: Speaker. Yeah. Last year the Energy Secretary scrapped support for under the renewables obligation for new onshore wind projects, which will impact the £3 million investment by Nissan at their wind farm in my constituency. Does the Prime Minister realise that his attacks on clean energy are detrimental right. to pro- pro-green businesses such as Nissan? Will he look at this immediately and rectify in the energy bill next week?
3: Well
1: done. Yeah. Well, we had some extensive exchanges about this at the liaison committee yesterday, and so I'm I can tell her that if you look at onshore wind, we're going to see an, another 50% increase in onshore wind investment during this parliament. If we look at offshore wind, Britain has got the biggest offshore wind market anywhere in the world. If you look at solar, which was raised uh, before by the leader of the opposition, Britain has got the fourth largest solar installation of any country anywhere in the world, and indeed, as I my new favorite statistic ninety eight percent of those solar panels have been installed since I was Prime Minister. Now this is all good news and means that we have a genuine claim to be leading a renewables revolution, but every single Subsidy you give to these technologies is extra money that we put onto people's bills, making their energy more expensive. So it's right that we seek a balance between decarbonising our economy but making sure we do it at a low cost to our consumers and the people who pay the bills. And that's what our policy is all about. Yeah. James Thank you, Mr. Speaker. With the number of workless households in the United Kingdom at an all-time low, and with 1.4 million more children being taught in schools ranked good or outstanding since 2010, does my right honourable friend agree with me that the mark of a one-nation government is not the amount of money we spend on benefits, but it's what we do to tackle the root causes of poverty? My honourable friend is absolutely right. Now, that's what the exchanges earlier on proved. As far as I can see, Labour's only answer to every single problem is to spend more money so it ends up with more borrowing, more spending more debt—all the things that got us into this problem in the first place. Whereas Our approach is to look at all the causes of poverty, all the things that are holding people back. Let us fix the sinker states, let us reform the failing schools, let us give people more childcare, let us deal with the addiction and mental health problems that people have, and in that way we will demonstrate that this is the government and this is the party helping people with their life chances, while Labour just want to stick you where you are.
3: Jonathan
0: Edwards. The Draft Wales Bill contains provisions which reverses the 2011 settlement which was overwhelmingly endorsed in the last Welsh referendum. Unless amended, the National Assembly will unanimously, including Tory AMs, oppose the Bill during the legislative consent motion process, sparking a constitutional crisis. The veto and consent clauses do not apply in the case of Scotland and Northern Ireland. Why is this government treating Wales like a second class nation?
1: Yes. What this government has done is actually, first of all, hold a referendum. So that the Welsh Assembly has those lawmaking powers. Second of all, the first government in history to make sure there is a flaw under the Welsh le- level of spending, something never done uh, by a Labour government. And now in the Wales Bill, we want to make sure that we give Wales that ex- those extra powers. That's what this bill is all about. We're still listening to the suggestions made by him, made by the Welsh Assembly Government, but this government has a proud record not only of devolution for Wales, but in delivery for Wales.
2: Mr Speaker, $30 oil is great for petrol prices, but it is potentially catastrophic in other respects. If it goes on like this, we risk seeing regimes under pressure, dramatic corporate failures and financial default, enormous financial transfers out of our markets to pay for other countries' deficits, a possible collapse in share prices and dividends for pensions, and a liquidity problem in our banking sector. May I invite the Prime Minister to initiate an urgent review across Whitehall to assess the effects of continuing low oil prices on our economy and beyond, and in particular work out how we can avoid the destruction of our own oil industry in the North Sea. My
1: right hon. Friend makes an important point, which is this very big move in the oil price. Of course, it has a highly beneficial effect for all our constituents who are able to fill up their cars. For less than a pound a litre, and that is a very big increase in people's disposable income and wholly welcome. And I think a low oil price basically is good for the British economy as an economy uh, that is a substantial manufacturing uh, and production economy. But of course, there are other consequences, and he named many of them, and we need to look very carefully at how we can help our own oil and gas industry. Of course, as we're coming to the end of Price's questions, he did actually mention one other calamity that the oil low oil price brings about, which is it has led to a complete an utter collapse of the SNP's policy. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Caroline Harris. Recent press reports suggest that a row Carolyn Recent press reports suggest that although some on the government's backbenches would agree with me. Despite the fact that my background would be what the Prime Minister would consider to be menial. <laughs> <laughs> in calling for a reduction in a stake from 100 pounds a minute on fixed spurting terminals, the Cabinet Office seems reluctant to review this £1.6 million industry and will refuse to bring it under scrutiny. Can the Prime Minister assure that the public to would ensure the public that his government will undertake a review of this dangerous, addictive and ever-growing problem?
3: Yes. <laughs>
1: We have looked at this, uh, this problem and this industry, and we did make a series of changes. Uh, we did make a series of changes, including planning changes, but we keep this important situation under review.
0: Craig Whittaker.
1: Yeah. 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 Whilst the floods over Christmas were bad for many areas in the north of England and Scotland, Calder Valley residents were hit the hardest. Mm-hmm. 2,100 homes and 1,300 businesses flooded, three bridges lost four schools either flooded or part flooded, and an old tip with asbestos that has slid, uh, preventing a further 20 families uh, uh, keeping them out of their homes. Will my Right Honourable friend agree to meet with me to discuss how we can help with the twenty million pound infrastructure damage, the shortfall in future uh, flood defence schemes? And the rebuilding of Tobindon High School as well. Good idea. Well, my honourable friend and I have discussed Tobindon High School on many occasions, and I think we should meet again and discuss it again and try and make some progress on this. But first of all, let me say my sympathies and the sympathies of the whole House will go out to those people and those businesses who were flooded, many of them in his constituency and at that particular time of year. We will do everything we can to help communities get back on their feet. There's the very large flood investment programme, and that's in place, and and, uh, there's also the Maintenance programme which has been protected in real terms. But there's a number of other infrastructure pieces of work that need to be done. Uh, I would commend, I think, the Highways Agency that have been very quick to examine roads and, in some cases, actually take over uh, the repairs to local authority roads because they've got the capacity to act and act quickly. And that's what we need to do in these situations. As I said last week, I think this time the army was in faster, the money was distributed faster, the EA worked even harder and even more round the clock, but there are always lessons to learn. learn to demonstrate that we want to get these communities back on their feet as quickly as possible.